Lord, the face of Jesus is what we long to see this morning. That we would behold His glory and see His beauty and our hearts would be changed. Lord, You've promised in Your Word that the way we are changed is by beholding His glory from one degree to the next. And so, Lord, as we open Your Word, reveal Christ to us. Lord, open up His heart. We might see who He is. Lord, we know in Your Word it says we must decrease and Jesus must increase. So I just pray that through the power of Your Word this morning that Your Spirit would come and humble us and exalt Jesus and that it would transform our hearts and lives together. We love You, Lord. We worship You. We are so thankful for Your presence here this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Feel free to have a seat. For the last few years, uh, I've tried to set some personal goals. You know, different people set goals for different reasons. Uh, for some people, they're trying to maybe track their growth in a certain area, or they're trying to stretch, stretch themselves in certain ways. Uh, but for me, setting goals really comes down to one thing. Uh, it comes down to priorities. Uh, I know that for me, that the things that I set at my, as my goals, I'm saying that these are the most important things to me. These are my top priorities. Uh, and, and typically, at the turn of the calendar year, uh, we all sort of leverage the change of the calendar. We've already been laughing about that a little bit this morning, but we try to leverage the, the turn of a calendar into maybe some changes in our lives. And so it's been easy for me, especially this year, to think to myself, okay, what am I going to do differently next year? You know, how am I going to make some adjustments uh, next year so that I can see more productivity, that I can maybe achieve more? But ultimately, uh, what am I going to do differently in my life so that I can experience joy? So that I can be the happiest person that I can possibly be. And so I just want to ask you this morning, you know, I wonder if you thought about it. Uh, around our dinner table last night, my brother-in-law um, just impromptu just asked everybody sitting at the table, hey, have you guys set any goals for this year? Have you, have you thought about next year at all? And so I wonder if, if you've done that. Maybe not if you've set any goals, but I wonder what you're counting on to turn things around for you next year. Uh, I wonder what you're banking on to give you sustained life and sustained joy in your year next year. Uh, typically, as I'm setting goals for the year, I like to sit down with a few trusted friends and, and talk it out. People that know me really well, know what I care about and, and what I love, and allow them to kind of speak into those goals that I've set. And so for just a second this morning, I want you to imagine that you got the opportunity to sit down with Jesus. On the last weekend of the year, uh, Jesus invites you out for coffee, and he's going to help you think through your life. He's going to help you think through what you need to do next year to have the most fruitful and the most joyful life that you possibly can. And the way I sort of see this going is, you know, we sit down with Jesus, and we start talking, and we start sharing with him all of our plans, all the things that we've, you know, come up with that are, that's going to make ne next year the best year possible. And he's just sort of smiling and, and chuckling and, and waiting for us. And when we finally stop, he looks at us in the eyes and he says, are you done now? If you'll listen to me, I will tell you how to have the most fruitful and the most joyful life that you've ever had. And so I don't know what you're counting on this morning. I don't know what you're banking on. I don't know what you're hoping 
is going to give you a fruitful and successful and joyful life next year. But this is what Jesus is looking us right in the face this morning and telling us. Jesus is saying, I am all your life. I am all your strength. And I am all your joy. If you will set me down as the cornerstone of your life, as the top priority of your life, I will come into your life and I will make my home there. That the very life of God will be flowing through you. This wonderful counselor, the reigning son of God, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, is reminding us this morning out of love that our only hope for a bright future is Christ in us. Our only peace in the midst of troubled times is Christ in us. And our only joy in the midst of a confusing and dark world is Christ in us. And so here's the deal. Uh, This morning, we're going to cover 11 verses in John chapter 15. And if you're taking notes there, you've got nine blanks to fill in. But really, this sermon really just boils down to one thing, one simple main idea. And here it is. If we will prioritize communion with Christ, He will satisfy our heart's deepest desires. If we will prioritize communion with Christ, He will satisfy our heart's deepest desires. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to hear it straight from his mouth this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to, I want you to hear these words as if you're sitting down with Jesus. And he's speaking straight into your heart, straight into your life this morning. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things 
I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning on this last Sunday of the year. So I submit to you nine reasons that prioritizing communion with Christ is the most important thing that you can do in your life. So first, prioritize communion with Christ because he's the only source of life. Because he is the only source of life. Uh, In verse 1, Jesus reiterates what we've really been looking at throughout this whole Christmas season, that life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Look at how he puts it in in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, the seventh I am statement of the book of John that we've looked at. A vine is just a source of organic life. A vine is what feeds and fuels the branches so that the branches can bear fruit. Uh, Really, the the whole message of Christianity can actually be summed up in this picture of a vine. Uh, We were created to have communion with God, but through sin, it's like we're a branch that gets severed off from the vine, that life has been lost because of our sin. And really, Christmas is a story that's a story of great hope, but it's also a story that reminds us that no matter what we did and no matter what we tried, we could not get our life back. God had to send life down to us. And in the person of Jesus Christ, we see a vine of life growing, growing out into a dead world. And that uh, it's sort of like this. We had life. We lost life through sin. But now we're being given the opportunity to have life again if we're like a branch that that gets grafted back in to the vital life of Jesus Christ, the true vine. That the Father takes us, he resurrects us, and he plants us into Jesus Christ, who is himself life, and we receive the resurrection life of Christ in ourselves. Uh, Notice, though, in verse 1, that Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the vine. He says, I am the true vine, uh, the true vine as opposed to a false vine. Now, Jesus Christ is this true vine. Uh, Israel in the Old Testament is sometimes pictured as a vine, uh, but they were a false vine. They were an unfruitful uh, a vine, but Jesus is the true vine. And really, anything in your life that you seek out to find purpose, meaning, and joy that's not Jesus Christ is a false vine. Um, Jesus is the true vine. Uh, He he is the true vine because he has existed eternally. Uh, Jesus is the source of all life. Jesus is also the true vine because when he came down from heaven to earth, he took on flesh to become a man like you and like me. And in, in that act of coming down, he actually reunited God and man in his very person. Uh, Jesus is also the true vine because he died. And when he died, he defeated death. The very thing that was getting in the way for us, blocking the life for us, Jesus removed as he forgave our sins. And then obviously Jesus is the true vine because he rose from the dead. He conquered death. He triumphed over it. And if you and I are grafted into Jesus Christ by faith, if the Father grafts us into Jesus Christ by faith, we are united to a resurrected living Savior. Jesus is the true vine. Um, I've come to rely on this watch I'm wearing 
Um, it's pretty nice. It uh, keeps track of my calendar. It uh, keeps my heartbeat. It um, obviously tells time. And uh, for me, my favorite, uh, my favorite feature on this watch is that it actually wakes me up in the morning. Uh, it's an alarm for me. Rather than hearing the bang, bang, bang in the morning, I just get a nice little buzz on my wrist, and it, and it wakes me up. It's really nice. Um, I've come to rely on it. And so this is kind of what my routine is. Every night when I come in in the evening, the first thing I do is I go to the bedroom and I plug that watch in because I, because I want to, uh, to have a full charge when I go to bed that night. So a few weeks ago, I came in and I, I, I ran into my room, plugged the watch in, went back out and I helped Allie cook some dinner and we, we ate dinner and then uh, it was time for bed and I, I went in and I picked up the watch and sure enough, it was dead. Now, I'm not calling any names, but as I traced the, the charger cord back to the wall, I realized that somebody had unplugged my charger. Now, this is the deal. I could have left that watch on that charger for a month, and it would be no more uh, alive than the moment that I plugged it in because it wasn't connected to the source. The most vital and most important question that we have to discuss here this morning, before we can even talk about communion with Jesus, is union with Jesus. Are you connected to the true vine? Has your life been plugged in to the source of life, who is Jesus Christ himself? I think it's one of the most frustrating things in the world. I've experienced this in my own life, and I'm sure you've seen it in other people's lives. The most frustrating thing in the world is when we're trying to change. We're trying to make reforms to our life. We're trying to experience joy, but we're not plugged into the source. It's like trying to charge that battery without being plugged into the wall. It won't work until we've been grafted in to Jesus Christ. So the foundation for communion with Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about, is union with Jesus. We have to be connected to life before we can experience life. So second, prioritize communion with Christ because we must be pruned to bear fruit. We must be pruned to bear fruit. Uh, now, in, ver in verse 1, we focused mainly on Jesus as the true vine, but Jesus also told us that his Father is the vine dresser. And in verses 2 and 3, we, we learn more about what that means. What does this mean that the Father is the vine dresser? And so let's read uh, verses 2 and 3 together. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, he's talking about the vine dresser, the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. When it comes to the purpose of a vine, the purpose of a vine is to bear fruit, is to produce. But the only way for a vine to have good, healthy fruit is to undergo the pruning process. Somebody's got to come in and, and cut some things away, to take some dead things away, to, to remove some of the things that have withered so that there can be good and healthy life that can, that can come bursting forth. Now, I think what's uh, kind of tricky in our English Bibles about verses 2 and 3 is that in verse 2, it uses the word pruning, which we understand that, that imagery. But in verse 3, it uses the word clean, but in reality, in verse 2 and verse 3, those are actually the same words. Uh, just one is a verb and one is an adjective. So it's kind of like saying this, I clean you, that's a verb, but you are clean, that's an adjective. Same word, just being used in two different ways. And here in John 15, Jesus is saying the same thing just in two different ways. He's saying we must be pruned by the Father 
And then he, right after it in verse 3, he says, you are already pruned. So we need to see these uh, verses together. This is the point. If you and I are going to have healthy fruit in our lives, we have to be pruned by the Father. But the scissors, the scissors that the Father uses to prune our lives is the word of Christ, like Jesus tells us in verse 3. The way we are pruned by the Father is by Him taking the word of Jesus and cutting away all the things that are getting in the way of our life, that are getting in the way of our joy, that are getting in the way of His life being uh, brought forth out of us. And so we should expect the words of Jesus to cut like a knife. We should expect the scriptures to push us and challenge us in ways that don't feel good. Because for God's life to come out of us, things have to be removed. Things have to be washed away. We have to be cleansed. And so what would it look like this year if we embraced repentance, not as some bad thing that we had to do, but as God's fatherly love in pruning away the things in our lives that are actually stealing life from us? What if we saw the, the cutting words of Christ, and we're going to encounter a lot of them this year. We're going to be working through the book of Mark here at the beginning of the year, and there's going to be week after week of cutting and, 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 and incisions and pruning. And what if we just said, Jesus, bring it on. I want to have more joy in my life. I want to have more real fruit in my life. And we embraced the pruning process for our good. So if we prioritize Jesus, it might hurt. It might feel like cutting. But it will actually bring out more fruit in our lives. Third, prioritize communion with Christ because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Uh, verses 4 and 5 really are the heart of this passage. Uh, this passage is about fruitfulness, and it's asking the question. This is, this is the question that this passage is really asking. What is the Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, who walked on this earth, who died, that guy who's you know, way back in history, what in the world does he have to do with my life right now? How is Jesus, that Jesus way back there, how is he relevant to me in my life today? And this is how Jesus explains his relevance. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus commands his disciples to make their home in him, to live in him, to reside in him, to lodge in him, to take up residence in him. And this is the promise that for those who are united to Jesus, if we make our home in him, he will make his home in us. All who are united to Christ by faith are called to commune with Christ in practice. What Jesus is talking about here is not a one-time decision. What Jesus is talking about here is an ongoing daily commitment. And I think the image of the vine and the branches just uh, really comes through so clear here. I mean, what happens to a branch that is severed from the vine? 
it has no way to get life. It has no source of fuel. Uh, a few weeks back was my wife's uh, birthday, back at the beginning of, of December, and I bought her these really nice flowers. But sure enough, you know, it doesn't matter if you put those flowers in water and if you, you know, use the little food packets the, just the way they tell you to. The second that someone cut those flowers off from the vine, they handed those flowers a death sentence. The second that the, the scissors cut, cut the, those, those roses right off of that vine, it was only a matter of time before they withered and died. And they were beautiful, but now they're in the trash. A living communion with Christ is the determining factor for fruitfulness in our lives. Self-sufficiency is death. But Christ's dependency is life. And Jesus, wanting his disciples and us to, I think, feel the severity and the necessity of communion with him, he says literally that whoever does not abide in him, whoever does not commune with him, can do not one thing. We have two options. Either Jesus abiding in us doing everything, or us, apart from Jesus, being rendered useless. So I've thought about it this week. Um, you know, we've already laughed again, again earlier this morning. I mean, this has been a hard year. It's been a hard year for everybody for different reasons. But maybe, just maybe, this year, this 2020 craziness is exactly what God would have wanted for us. That maybe for some of us, we realized that the things we had put our hope in the things we had connected our joy to, the things that we were counting on, that they actually don't fulfill and satisfy us, that the only thing that could actually come in and give us the real, true, and abiding life that we long for is Jesus himself. You know, we say things like, I can't afford to spend time with Jesus because i got to you know, focus on my kids, or I can't afford to spend time away from my soccer team because I've got to get this scholarship, or you know, I can't afford to set boundaries at my work because I might not get the promotion. But what Jesus is telling us here is that anything in our life that we prioritize above him, we are actually handing that thing a death sentence. That we, we, we want to prioritize our kids. We want to prioritize our jobs. We want to prioritize money. We want to prioritize all these things. But whatever we prioritize above Jesus, we actually render our efforts towards those things useless. We can't afford not to prioritize Jesus if we want the things in our lives to be fruitful and abiding. So to sum it up, here's a really simple way to think about it, using these two words, abide and apart. Abide equals fruit, apart equals nothing. Abide equals fruit, apart equals nothing. Fourth, prioritize communion with Christ because the consequences are deathly serious. Because the consequences are deathly serious. Uh, when a good friend sits across the table from you and they're going to help you think through your life and think through your goals, uh, you want somebody who's wise, who understands life, but you also want somebody who's willing to tell you the truth. Somebody who's willing to look you in the face and tell you, tell you when you've gotten a little bit off base. And I think that's exactly what's happening here in verse 6. As Jesus uh, lovingly gives us a wise warning 
It's, it's purely out of the love of his heart that he gives us verse 6. It says this, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. A fruitless vine branch is good for nothing. I think Jesus intentionally gives us this image uh, to, to warn us. He, he wants us to feel the severity of what life would look like if we got cut off from him, if we were no longer abiding with him. And I think at this point in particular, Jesus is teaching on the vine in the context of the Old Testament. Uh, there's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 15 where I think Jesus is clearly connecting what he's saying to this passage in Ezekiel. I want to read it, and I want you to listen for some of the connections. Listen to how Jesus is just tracing, tracing this uh, narrative in the, in the uh, Old Testament here. Ezekiel 15, verses 2 through 5. It says, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood, the vine branch that is among the trees of the forest? Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. The only thing that a fruitless vine branch is good for, Ezekiel is telling us, is to be tossed in the fire and burned. There's nothing else you can do with it. It, it has it's no other purpose except to bear fruit. And if it's not bearing fruit, what use does it have? So one who's united to Christ, that does not maintain communion with Christ, is rendered useless, is tossed away, and rendered ineffective. Jesus won't bless our self-sufficiency. He won't lie to us and just make us feel better. And he won't let us believe that there's anything more serious in the world than communion with him. When I was in high school, I was driving my car one day, and um, I, I looked up and I saw a, a lady you know, driving beside me. And I say I looked up because I had had my head down uh, sending a text message when I looked up and saw her. And uh, that woman is actually a member of this church. And the next time I, I saw her, she walked up to me and she said, hey, you know, I would never let you drive my kids anywhere. And I kind of laughed and I said, you know, why not? And she said, and, and, and she did not laugh back. And she said, you know, if you keep texting and driving, you're going to kill yourself. Now, was she trying to be mean to me? You know, was she just out to get me? Not at all. In fact, she loved me. And she loved her kids, and she was warning me. It was love in her heart that led her to warn me in this way. And that's exactly what we see from Jesus here. He's not out to get, get us. He's not being mean. He's just, he's just warning us out of the love of his heart. So what does this loving, wise warning from Jesus mean for us? Well, it means that Palmetto Shores Church will only survive if we abide in Christ. If we slowly drift away from Jesus, God will drift away from us. And one of two things happen to churches that don't abide in Christ, that don't set communion with Christ as the top priority in, in the church. One of two things happens. Either a church literally physically closes and dies, or a church just turns into a social club. And as we know, there are churches, there, there are lots of churches around here that are closing their doors, and there are lots of churches around here that are just turning into social clubs. 
But before we start naming names and thinking about who these churches might be, this is the sober warning for us today. We are not above that happening to us. In fact, the only way that won't happen to us is if we abide in Christ. Guys, what happens to a body when it's severed from its head? That is what happens to a church that does not prioritize communion with Jesus as its absolute top priority. We can thrive, we can survive, but we've got to cling with everything we have to our living head, who is Jesus Christ. So here's how I see this playing out. Uh, Union with Christ, being connected, united to Christ, is the foundation for communion with Christ. But communion with Christ is experienced through communication with Christ, which leads us to our uh, fifth point. Prioritize communion with Christ because it's the key to answered prayer. It's the key to answered prayer. No surprise that Jesus moves towards communication. Uh, Jesus frames this whole concept of prayer in light of communion with him. He says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If Jesus' disciples abide in him, implying that he also abides in them, and especially if this communion is marked by receiving and internalizing and meditating upon his word, then they are instructed to ask whatever they wish and know that that prayer will move the Father's heart. In other words, as the, as the, wish, as the wish of the disciples is conformed to the word of Christ, the heart of God the Father is moved into action. So the way that we practically abide, maybe you're thinking, okay, you've been talking about communion with Christ, communion with Christ, communion with Christ. What is that? The way we practically commune with Christ or abide in Christ is by Jesus communicating himself to us through his word and by us communicating ourselves back to him through prayer. It's him communicating to us and us communicating to him. That is the essence and the art of communion with Christ. That's how we abide. So the goal is not to twist his word to somehow fit our wish. The goal is to conform our wish to his word. So the foundation is union with Christ. If we're united to Christ, then we commune with Christ. And the way we experience communion with Christ is through communication with Christ. All right, sixth, prioritize communion with Christ because bearing fruit glorifies God. Bearing fruit glorifies God. Jesus now tells his disciples the true way of worship, the true way in which God is exalted among among them. He says it plainly at the beginning of verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Uh, The reason that bearing fruit glorifies God is because that's what God's original intention and design for human beings was in the first place. We were created to reflect the image of God. We were created to display the glory of God. And so Jesus is saying, I have come. I have come to restore in you your very humanity. I have come to invite you into imitating God. And as you begin to imitate God, you glorify Him. You put Him on display for everybody to see. 
but it also dignifies you. It also elevates you as you become who God created you to be. Uh, When I was younger, people used to always say to me, um, you know, you look like your dad, or you're just like your dad, and uh, at the time, um, I'm not really sure how I felt about that. Uh, I've heard this one story. Uh, Somebody asked me one time, you know, hey, when you grow up, do you want to be a pastor like your dad? And my response was, boring. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, as I've grown older, my heart's changed a little bit. And, and now, now that I have my own son, my heart's really changed. You know, I see that it brings so much honor to a father for his kids to imitate him. And it brings so much dignity to a child as they begin to imitate their father, especially when we have a father who's good and righteous and praiseworthy. How much more with God that we get to be like him as Jesus works his power in us and God is exalted as as we're like these little billboards that go around and show off his character, but it also dignifies us because we begin to be gracious and loving and honest and sincere and gentle. As God's character comes out through Christ in us, he's glorified and we are dignified. So God is glorified as we bear fruit, bear fruit through communion with Christ. Seventh, prioritize communion with Christ because bearing fruit proves that we are in Christ. Bearing fruit proves that we're actually in Christ. Not only is the Father glorified when we bear fruit, but the believers, the disciples, prove their genuineness by bearing fruit. He says it, I'm going to read all of verse 8 now together. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Gifts can be mimicked. Charisma can be counterfeit. But when the Spirit of Christ begins to form the character of Christ in us, it can only mean one thing, that Jesus really is in us. When the resurrected, glorified, ascended Jesus Christ shows up in your life, he does not do so quietly. He does not do so timidly. He starts to pour out his resurrection life in you, and it starts to change you. And that change that you experience is part of the gift of your salvation. Uh, this watch I'm wearing, I, I told you about already, you know, it has to be plugged in for power, but that's not the only, thing, only reason I plug it in. Uh, when I plug it in, I also plug it into a computer, and that computer actually downloads information onto my watch. Uh, if you were to set five or six of these watches that look, look on the outside exactly the same right here in front of each other, I could walk through and I could pick out the one that's exactly mine because it would have my pictures, my apps, my messages, my configuration. What Jesus is saying here is, if you're mine, there's going to be evidence of me in you. If you're mine, I'm going to download my character into your life. So are there evidences, are there traces of the character of Jesus in you? Has he borne his fruit out in your life through communion and union with him? Being in Christ means both forgiveness and life transformation. If we are living alive to God through Jesus Christ, God will form his very life in us. So this is the deal. I don't know what's going to happen next year. 
Um, I don't know what your year, will, your, your year will be like. Some of you will probably have a worse year next year than you had this year in some respects. But if you prioritize communion with Jesus, this is what I know for sure. He will form his life in you. Uh, you may make less money next year, and yet if you prioritize communion with Jesus, you'll have more joy. You may have people in your life who bully or belittle you next year, but if you prioritize communion with Christ, he will make you more content and more kind. Guys, you might die next year, but if you've prioritized communion with Christ, his resurrection life will be flowing through you. This is what it means to bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples that the totality of all of who Christ is gets poured down into our lives and starts to form our hearts and our minds and our wills to the life of God. And that's what we were made for. Eighth, prioritize communion with Christ because we need to feel his love. Because we need to feel his love. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 to me are amazing because Jesus pulls together two things that we tend to think are opposites. We tend to think that these, think that these two things, especially as, as uh, Americans in the United States, we tend to think that these two things can't, can't go together. And so let's start with verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So what's astounding is that as Jesus begins to tell his disciples about his love for them, the picture he uses is the very love of the Father, God the Father for God the Son. He's saying, Just as God the Father has loved me, God the Son... So I have loved you. The same love he's, he loves me with, I love you with. And maybe you're, maybe you're thinking, okay, that makes a lot of sense, but, but what's the big deal? Well, then Jesus drops verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus just broke the rules. Jesus, don't you know that love and commands don't work together? Don't you know that truth and grace are opposites? Don't you know that law and gospel don't mix together? You know, it would be so easy for the disciples, just like for us today, to think that the love of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus are somehow incompatible with one another. And yet here in verses 9 and 10, Jesus shows us that his love and his lordship actually go together. They come as a package deal. So how does this work? Well, uh, I'll be honest about my own life personally. Um, I've really struggled with understanding both how this works in the scriptures, but also how it works in my own life. Uh, there's, there was a long season in my life where I lived under the burden of the law, believing that I had to keep the law to make Jesus love me. But then God's grace came into my life and he set me free. That I saw, okay, keeping the law is no longer a prerequisite for receiving the love of Jesus. But then what to do with the law? What to do with commands? If God's grace has set me free, then what about this law business? Verses like Romans 3.31 were verses that boggled my mind and and really I just wanted to avoid. In Romans 3.31, Paul says, 
Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What? Paul, you just spent three chapters proving to me that I'm set free from the law. What are you talking about? We uphold the law. Well, this is when the breakthrough happened for me. The breakthrough happened for me when I realized that the law is simply the character of Jesus in imperative form. In other words, whatever Jesus tells us to do, he is simply telling us to do what he is. If I hate the law, then I hate Jesus because he is the embodiment of the law. And if I love Jesus, then I love the law because that's who he is. You know, it's like me talking about my wife and saying, you know, I hate brown hair. I hate people from New Jersey. You know, it's like, that's who she is. Jesus fulfilled the law, and Jesus was the superlative human being. He lived the most blessed, most joyful human life imaginable. And he followed the law to the T. So the law is not a prerequisite to be loved by Jesus, but it is something that brings the sense of the love of Jesus into our lives. That he loved us before we were ever born. He loved us while we were in our sin. The problem with the obedience factor is on our end. Is that when we're running off in the other direction, when we're running away from Jesus, it clogs our receptors to his love and it creates distance between us and him. Jesus isn't commanding us to do things and then leaving us to you know, take care of it on our, on our own. No, Jesus is commanding us to do things that are only possible if he does them in us so that it forces us to abide in him. All right. Um, I hope you've seen, you know, as we've been working through these verses... Jesus is taking a number of really difficult, hard concepts, things that we uh, naturally push against, and he's reframing them for us. He's helping us to see them through wise eyes, through godly eyes, pruning, right? We don't like pruning, Um, depending. We don't like to depend on anything. Warning, we don't like warnings and obeying. You know, we, we don't like obeying. But Jesus is showing us that these things that we naturally push away from are actually things that we need to become more human, to become more the way that God created us to be. And I think that's why he lands this plane in verse 11 where he does. So finally, prioritize communion with Christ because our joy depends on it. Our joy depends. Depends on it. Uh, I asked you at the beginning to think about what you're counting on for next year. What are you banking on to turn things around for you, 
to, to find life, to find sustained joy in your life. And Jesus, you know, here at the end of this um, conversation, he's, it's like he's looking us right in the eyes and he's confronting our self-sufficiency. He's demanding that we depend upon him. But in doing it, he's really opening up his heart to us. And we see that in verse 11. This is the heart of Jesus to you today. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants his disciples to remember that as they commune with him and abide in him, he has promised to bear his fruit out in them. And one of the most precious fruits that Jesus brings forth in our lives is his very joy. So that if Christ is formed in you, then joy is formed in you. They go together. Jesus is the most joyful. Jesus is brimming with joy. And he's saying, if you abide in me and I'm formed in you, you get my joy. You get the fullness of my eternal joy coming out and coming in to you. So what have you attached your joy to this year? What have you connected your joy to? What are you banking on to satisfy your heart? What if 2021 was, in fact, a better year, but not because we, you know, kissed 2020 goodbye, not because we forgot about all the woes and perils of, 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 year, of the year past? What if next year was a better year because we prioritized communion with Christ above all else, and God was glorified in our lives, and He poured out His heavenly joy down into our hearts, and we were totally and completely satisfied in Him no matter what happened to us. That sounds like a great year. I'll read it one more time. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What we're going to do now is on this last Sunday of the year, uh, we're going to take a few minutes and spend some time in prayer. Um, just a few minutes in silence, right where you're at, um, to meet with the Lord and, and to talk with Him, to confess ways in which we've drifted, but also to, to commit our lives to Him, to commit our hearts to Him, and to dedicate not only next year, but the rest of our lives to seeking Him first, to communing with Him, and to seeking our joy in, in Him and Him alone. So let's spend a few minutes now in prayer quietly right where you are.
Jesus, we thank you for being a good and wise friend, for helping us see life as it's meant to be lived. We also thank you that you're willing to come in and be our strength and our power and our life and our joy. We admit now that we can do nothing without you. And we ask you to remain in us as we seek to remain in you. Lord, for this year and for the rest of our lives, we commit ourselves to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's join now together in worship.